G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We are back on to Christian views with a family focus today, especially around women and children over this next hour. Since the Tokyo Olympics and the woke inclusion of transgender athletes in some of the women's sports, it's come to light that women athletes in some nations were told to keep quiet about developments in their sport. What we're discussing today, how our culture is changing, the sexualization of children and the end of women's sport. And with the Paralympics on at present, uh, we're going to ask in just a few moments uh, what's happening with the Paralympics Are the same sorts of things going on there. The big outcome of allowing elite-level transgender athletes to compete in women's sport is that biological women miss out on their rightful place in elite-level competition, like at the recent Olympic Games. And as it happens, years of hard training and sacrifice can be taken away with the stroke of a pen, where a biological man, who now claims to be a woman, and gets preference for team selection. Now, it's not the only issue. The trans agenda has been in the headlines with controversy over drag queens telling stories to children in public libraries and concerns are now being raised around the kinky sexual behaviour on display in pride marches. Well, the organisation Binary is looking to fund a campaign to defend binary gender. You know what we say when we talk binary gender? The idea of male and female. And to stop discrimination against women. Kiralee Smith leads the organisation called Binary and has been one of the prominent voices standing up to the rampant campaign to de-gender Australian society. Kiralee Smith, let me say a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. Kiralee, uh, let me just come back to something I mentioned in the introduction there. And, uh, you know, with the recent Olympics, you've got the Paralympics on right now. This idea that some nations were telling their women in sport to be quiet. Maybe I'll say that at a whisper. Be quiet. Don't speak up. Don't speak up and say anything about your sport. You know, you don't want to embarrass things. You don't want to change the headlines. You want to get all the, the focus off what you're doing, you know, in competing. This idea of being quiet, that's that's pretty confronting, isn't it? Yes, and unfortunately it's, uh, you know, something that's happened throughout the ages when it comes to uh, women, I think, being told to be quiet, <laughs> to sit down, to, you know, be invisible. And, um, and unfortunately we're now seeing this displayed, particularly in the area of sport, but also in some other areas that we might touch on. But, um, yeah, women are being pressured, intimidated, harassed, whatever word you want to use, <clears throat> some more than others in particular sports. But we saw it 
with the Tokyo Olympics, Laurel Hubbard was a male, uh, biological male who p- participated as a female. And we know uh, many of the female weightlifters have spoken out and told uh, media outlets and others that they were specifically told to be quiet, to not make a fuss about it. Uh, to just go along and compete. But we know that this is completely unfair. Uh, thankfully, Laurel Hubbard was not able to uh, make any of his lifts in that uh, competition and wasn't able to progress. However, um, he did take the place of other biological women who were entitled to that position and the fact that the women were encouraged to be silenced. It doesn't just mean be quiet, Neil. It means if you speak up, you may lose your position, you may lose your funding, your sponsorship, uh, the support of the body who is sending you to the Olympics. So it, it's not a simple be quiet and get on with it. it um, it's a threat and it's not an empty threat to those women. So very, very difficult uh, for female athletes who have spent years sacrificing, training, preparing for their elite sports uh, to then be confronted with such a, a terrible issue. Uh, be quiet. Uh, it's the idea that there's a threat. If you don't be quiet, you'll be cancelled, as you say. You know, losing your sponsorship, yep. losing your place. Hey, I wonder whether you've got any insight around whether the same sorts of things have been uh, present in the selection of Paralympians, because uh, you know, lots of that national pride is there for the Paralympic Games that are on at the moment. Uh, what are your thoughts on on what's been happening with these sorts of issues and the Paralympics? Yeah, and look, I mean, the Paralympics are amazing. Such an incredible display of. Uh, sportsmanship and uh, talent and ability uh, and I, I support it wholeheartedly but unfortunately there has been you know let's jump on the bandwagon of the um, announcing our sexual preferences our sexual identities um, but interestingly with the Paralympics uh, the majority of uh, those athletes who have come out in inverted commas have been women and most of them, um, you know, well, let's let's pick the two Australians on the team who say that they are non-binary. They're both females, both competing in female categories. So it's not really news that, you know, women compete as women, I guess. Uh, but that's the reality because biology does matter. It is much, much more difficult for a female to say they identify as non-binary or male and then participate as a male because their biology will prohibit them from making advancement, whereas the other way around, uh, it's a lot easier for a biological male to uh, make advancement as a female because of his biology. So it is interesting uh, that this year uh, the Paralympics, like I said, have many people have come out as uh, whether it's their identity or their orientation, but those with the identity seem to be women and seem to still be participating as women. You know what? I mean, this gets more complicated by the moment uh, as you're describing all of that. And I'm thinking, oh, how am I making sense of all of this? But in one sense here, Kiralee, um, you know, when we talk about men competing as women and all you've got to do is identify as a woman to be able to compete in the women's sport. Well, mm-hmm. doesn't it get all the more complicated then when you've got women who are competing in women's sport, but they're not identifying as women? Should they be allowed to compete in a women's sport if they're not women? 
Oh, look, none of it really makes sense. And what it does is prove to us that this is about identity politics. It's not about sport. It's not about the best athletes, uh, you know, doing their best um, with their biological, you know, their physiological bodies. And, and that's what sport is, using our bodies, you know, to, to showcase. Uh, p- particular talents and speed and agility and all of those things, but this has become uh, a political identity or identi- identity po- politics um, is taking precedence over the biological reality. Reality, it's not consistent. It's completely hypocritical. And uh, you and I, you know, we can laugh about it and say this is absolutely ridiculous. But unfortunately, it is having an impact on. Uh, young people in particular who are coming into their prime and are wanting to compete. And, and let me just say that whole secrecy and hidden thing is also on the other side. In the Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics, there was a male archery competitor from Canada, uh, but he did not come out and uh, say that he was a biological male. He presented as female, and it was only others who outed him. And now there's a big debate on you know, whether his privacy should have been protected um, and that if he wants to be a woman, he can be a woman and nobody else should know about it. But again, that, that is a whole other kettle of fish that uh, women, again, are going to miss out or uh, be disadvantaged because males are saying that, they, that it's their right to not be outed as, as, as pretending to be a female in these competitions. And while you might think the more complicated it gets, somehow or other, you know, everybody's still on a level-type playing field, to use a sporting analogy, but the idea here that is the more complicated it gets, the more women seem to be the losers. And I wonder whether you've got any thought here, because the focus is for our conversation today on women, because women seem to be losing it every level here no matter how complicated it gets or who changes this or who identifies as that it's women who are the losers every time now every single time and i think what's really fascinating is yesterday i received some correspondence months ago i requested from sport australia or sport as they're known uh what's their policies and why they are basically exalting identity politics over biology and the official response i got yesterday was basically blah, 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 didn't make much sense other than to say the only thing that the sporting organisations must consider is the Sex Discrimination Act of 1984, which means basically that anyone can compete however they identify as long as it doesn't... um, or or the sporting organisations can decide if it's going to cause danger to those women, basically. But that's a very uh, subjective kind of... uh, uh, limitation, I guess, to put on it. As we've seen, there are transgender people, males, participating as participating females in uh, rugby league, rugby union, AFL, contact sports, where it really is dangerous to women, and yet they're still being allowed to participate because odd sport doesn't appeal to biology, to science, to reality. It appeals to politics and says that we have to go and be guided by politics when it comes to uh, working out our policies when it comes to sport. And as you said, every time it's an unfair playing field, women are disadvantaged, but also in contact sports, women are placed at great danger uh, by having male bodies tackle them, 
you know, impact them in some ways that um, I fear is going to end very badly for some women in those sports. You know, ordinarily I'll wait to the end of a conversation to say how you can take action on these things. Uh, There's two uh, ways that people can proceed with some sort of action to participate in a battle for women here. And uh, one of those is a petition. The other is a fundraiser that you've started because you've got a campaign now to actually get out there and really start to raise the profile and defend women in sport. Uh, You're looking to raise $25,000. Now, some people will say, well, that doesn't sound like enough uh, for a campaign like this. Uh, But uh, there's a petition, there's a fundraiser. Just quickly, Kiralee, how do you want people listening to our conversation today to participate in the things that you're leading? Yeah, good question, Neil. Um, So the petition is a parliamentary petition and um, I'll put a link on my website. I hope that you might be able to put it into the Facebook page or something um, or I can add that to your Facebook chat. Um, The petition is important. Numbers matter to politicians and politicians will act according to numbers. So at the moment, we've got about 4,500 signatures. We'd like a lot more on that parliamentary petition to save women's sports in Australasia. Uh, The other thing that Binary particularly, that that petition is run by some other people as well, Um, but Binary is doing a fundraiser at the moment and it's not... Uh, as we say, that might not be enough, but it's certainly a start. And that $25,000 that we hope to raise will be uh, actioned for campaigns or a campaign that will lobby politicians. So on two levels in particular, one is to support politicians such as Claire, Senator Claire Chandler, who has been very outspoken and very supportive of protecting women's sex-based biological scientific uh, rights when it comes to sport. So we want to be able to um, see her uh, have opportunity to speak to other pol- parliamentarians uh, about the importance of this issue. We also want to expose uh, politicians who are opposed to women and fairness in sport. We need to be able to inform and educate more of the Australian public because there are, we do find that many still don't understand the issue. Uh, we need to be able to uh, conduct things like uh, official polls and uh, conduct advertising to to bring the reality of this issue to the fore because it is impacting millions of Australians. You know, you and I know millions of Australian children love to play sport and are involved in many sporting organisations around the country. And when organisations such as Ausport have become so politicised, uh, they need to be confronted, they need to be exposed, and we need to be able to change those policies so that women and girls in particular are protected when it comes to sport. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. You can respond to our Facebook question today asking, how do you think the changing culture today discriminates against women. There might be all sorts of dimensions you might want to introduce into this. We're talking around uh, issues of sport here and some more to talk about in just a few minutes. Uh, but uh, Kiralee Smith is our guest. She leads the organisation called Binary, one of the prominent voices standing up in the rampant campaign to degender Australian society. And let's take a call or two, Kiralee. Let's hear from Tess, who is in Esperance in WA. Hello, Tess. Welcome along. 
Good morning. Um, just wanted to say thanks for your passion, Kira Lee, and um, for all the informative emails and the stands that you're taking. Um, question, why can't we have a segment in the sports world for trans, not, you know, just one female, one male, and then one trans avenue? That's a good uh, good question. Kira Lee, what are your thoughts for Tess? Yes, I think that's an excellent suggestion, Tess. And I have heard, um, I haven't confirmed these, but I have heard of some local sporting organisations offering just that. And I think that is very much the sensible solution at this point, that uh, where um, adults in particular who want to identify as something other than male or female, uh, we know that male and female are biological realities and there is no other. Uh, however... If um, adults feel uncomfortable uh, in a male or female competition, I think having a non-binary or transgender category is very sensible and fair uh, for everybody in that sense. So um, great suggestion, Tess. I agree 100%. Tess, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation, and it could be broader than just sport, how you contribute. Uh, the, the Facebook question I'm asking today, how do you think the changing culture today discriminates against women? Uh, let's just draw our attention here. There's another rising issue that you've been giving attention to, Kiralee, the idea that when... Uh, there are people who march in pride parades. Uh, they're dressed up in costumes and uh, there's lots of glitter and it's all very bright and, uh, you know, there's a certain sort of, uh, you know, appeal to that uh, for a lot of people. But uh, but there's some things being communicated in the costumes you've been concerned about. What's your concern? Well, I think any form of sexualising children or advertising sexual anything to children is harmful and damaging and we need to let kids just be kids that... Uh, sexual activities are for adults only. Uh, we have laws uh, against, you know, um, sex with children. And so why we need to groom children uh, as young as, you know, three or four in many cases uh, with sexual activities, with sexual displays is, it's not only offensive, but it's extremely harmful and dangerous to those children and to our society at large. Some will say in those pride parades, oh, they're supposed to be an adults-only event. But I imagine that, uh, you know, whenever you see promotion for these sorts of things, there's always an image that it's like a family day out. So you can't really get away from the idea that kids are looking on and uh, just looking on actually has an effect on them. Oh, 100%, Neil. But it's promoted as a family event in most cases. It is something that, as you said, the colour, the glitter, the sparkle uh, is very child-orientated and child-focused. It's what we do for preschoolers. It's what we do for infants and, and primary school-age children to attract their attention. Uh, there's, there are extremists within the uh, rainbow movement who... Uh, advocate and defend uh, promoting this to children. And it all, to me, stems from degendering marriage, which means we then have to degender society. And many of them appeal back to that vote, saying that since we have degendered de marriage, we now have to degender society. We have to educate children, bring them up in ways that they understand that there's more than heterosexual uh, options for them as they grow. And uh, this is one way that we, one very dangerous way that we see extremists targeting children. 
not to get like too uh, explicit here, but when you've got those sorts of pride parades and uh, there's this promotion of different costumes, uh, I think you've drawn attention to the idea of whips and leashes and uh, the idea of, you know, and I, and I think probably ordinary people would say, oh, well, you're talking about uh, the issues when you're talking sexualization, uh, bondage, and uh, the idea of submission. Certainly if you've got people on a leash, submission, some will draw the idea that that's like an abuse, uh, which we're often, you know, obviously talking about uh, trying to eliminate those sorts of things from society. What are your thoughts here for the, the sort of display that happens? And and while people are thinking of it as a fun activity, just a little kinky and said in a way with a smile, a wry smile on your face, that this is actually, this is, as you're saying, a sexualization of not only the adults there, but children watching on. Yes, correct. And, you know, dominating, one person dominating another um, is very rarely healthy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, psychologists and psychiatrists are in business because others like to dominate others uh, on whatever level, emotional, financial, physical or sexual, and it's very rarely a good thing. And yet these extremists uh, are very Orwellian in their language in terms of, you know, making something sound the opposite or using euphemisms to... Uh, get community acceptance of practices that are damaging and harmful, oftentimes to adults, but always, always harmful to children. Interesting, isn't it, to bring Christianity into a conversation like this? Because as soon as you start to say that these things are bad, uh, there'll be those who will say, oh, here come the fun police. Uh, the Christians and somehow rather promoted as the people who are trying to do away with fun. But I suspect here, Kiralee, uh, you're just saying that there is an adult way of thinking about these things and the adult way actually is to think about the protection for children. And that's the Christian position, isn't it? Oh, 100%. And the Christian position is God created sex. Sex is fabulous within a certain context. And uh, that context never includes children, ever. (laughs) We don't include children in sexual activities or identities. That's for adults only. And for adults, a man and a woman who are married to one another. And it's awesome. God's position on sex. Sex is fabulous. Now, there's a good word that ought to be adopted by Christians because uh, it seems to be a word that's adopted by the LGBT community and somehow or other it's sort of seen as, uh, you know, what we're doing is fabulous and what you're doing is somehow or other a killjoy effect. But but this is, this is the essence, isn't it? And uh, just to reflect on our Christian faith, that sex is very much a part, a fun part of relationship between man and woman in marriage and uh, and that really is something that sometimes goes amiss and we don't talk about it enough. I agree. And I think that children need to grow up seeing that sex or love and romantic relationships between mums and dads, husbands and wives is something to attain for and that there are boundaries on that. But those boundaries, you know, like fire in the fireplace, uh, make it safe, make it free, make it wonderful, make it fabulous, whatever word you want to use. And I do think that Christians need to reclaim that, be unapologetic in that. And uh, I think most scientific studies actually 
support the fact that uh, men and women in long-term relationships, committed relationships in marriage, have the most fulfilling sex lives. And I think that's something that we would want our children to grow up and attain to, not some kinky, dominating uh, display on the street that is not safe, that is not protected and is very harmful for our children. Kira Lee, let me just come to uh, something which is really important and we can talk about elite level women's sports being under attack because transgender athletes are taking the place of biological women. But for listeners to our conversation today who are thinking, what's happening at my own local sporting fields? What's happening with my little girls as they're wanting to participate in sport? What can you reflect on as to what is going on at local levels here as far as women and sport? Well, Neil, unfortunately, we're hearing more and more reports of biological males competing as females at the local level uh, in soccer, in AFL. Uh, Little Athletics has been, you know, a champion or a leader in this particular area, despite the fact that uh, the last time you and I spoke, Neil, we'd released a report or an e-book on women in sport and transgender women in sport. And in all of those sports, we can show that uh, males always have the advantage over females. And let me frame it with this. Just this week in Spain, uh, it came out, uh, might have happened, the event might have happened last week, but it came out this week that a teenage boys team made up of 14, 15 and 16 year olds, uh, you know, not just their elite ones, but B squads and all the rest of it, um, absolutely thrashed the professional women's team in Spain. Uh, six nil, they did. So that's, that's, non-elite players versus elite women and they're still thrashing them. So for on the ground, we have, uh, as I said, many, many examples. And the other thing that we're finding with this that is of a real concern is that particularly in regional areas or even in, you know, your community sports club, where a boy comes out as wanting to identify as female, it's not just as simple as, well, that's unfair to the girls. What it does is it's tearing many of these communities apart because those kids have grown up together. The families might all be involved in the club. Uh, of course, nobody wants to be divisive. Nobody wants to hurt somebody else's feelings. Uh, it's such a, a hot potato topic. It's fraught with, you know, so many complexities. Uh, extremists, trans extremists have really hijacked the whole debate to say that Anybody who opposes, particularly males identifying as females, must be bigots and transphobic and, of course, labels that most mums and dads and people don't want to uh, wear. So what we're finding now is that in those local community clubs, at the the ground level, the grassroots level, uh, families are being severely impacted, not just by the fact that their girls are going to be put at risk or on an unfair playing field, but they're also now being uh, accused and called names that are insulting and incorrect. Kira Lee, we've got this issue with cancel culture and it's happening at all levels from the top right down to and uh, it'll be happening at your local sporting fields too. 
Is it the case, you think, that uh, there is some ways that that transgender athletes will actually be prioritised over women for inclusion in teams because of the fear of cancel culture? If you don't put this transgender athlete on, uh, you'll come under all sorts of criticisms and cancel culture will come about. Uh, What are your thoughts here that can happen at your local sporting field? Yeah, well, there's, there's uh, um, uh, an abundance of evidence uh, that people are being cancelled or threatened. Uh, and uh, it comes back to the International Olympic Committee and then organisations like Sport Australia that are government funded that write the policies uh, to prioritise transgender participants over uh, biological reality. And so because it's become a political issue, uh, people are very much threatened with cancellation, with uh, being outside of the law or outside of the Anti-Discrimination Act. And so many parents we're finding are either just quietly withdrawing their children from those sporting organisations. Very few are prepared to uh, make a stand or to speak out. Uh, As I said, they want to protect their daughters, but they don't want to be ostracised by their communities and they certainly don't want to face legal action, uh, which has very rarely been tested in Australia. Uh, But we know, you know, when when places like the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Department goes after a senator, Senator Claire Chandler, for her comments, uh, they they weren't able to proceed because they were outside of the law, but that, that's the threat that hangs over all of our heads at the moment. And when you've got that anti-discrimination legislation, these are laws, and when you've got those enacted in various states around Australia, what that means is that transgender people will be they'll be given priority ahead of women because if you don't, you're breaking the law. So is that the way the anti-discrimination law works against women? Well, as I said, it's not really uh, fully tested yet, Neil, but that's the threat. That is what uh, people are threatened with and people don't want to, uh, I guess, entertain that or see what would happen. Uh, other than, you know, so that's why we have organisations like Binary where we're prepared to take a stand, we're prepared to stand on biological and scientific evidence that shows us otherwise and there are a few people in the public and a few uh, politicians, as I've mentioned, Claire Chandler, Senator Amanda Stoker and a couple of others, George Christensen, who are prepared to put their uh, names, their careers on the line to stand up and speak out and defend and protect what is truth and what is right. Let's come back to some other dimensions here because uh, this is more than we can even probably talk about in the hour-long conversation we have today. But uh, there's another big pop culture uh, phenomenon that is now changing and going woke in this sense, and that's the Wiggles. What are your concerns about the changes that have happened in the Wiggles just recently? Well, you know, of course, um, it, it's completely fine to have diversity of ethnicities in any group, and we, our culture is that, and our, our entertainment, I guess, should reflect that. That's not a problem. But when they're now promoting a non-binary unicorn to infants and, uh, you know, preschool children, it just seems nonsensical. A non-binary is a 
sexual identity. I mean, the word sexual is even in the description of what non-binary means. And so why a children's entertainment group needs to promote a sexual identity to children is utterly beyond me. Uh, It reeks of a a style of grooming. Uh, We've seen Disney go down that path. We've seen Marvel go down that path. We've seen uh, Cartoon Network in America. A lot of American companies have done this and now the Australian Wiggles have jumped on the bandwagon and uh, many, many people have responded negatively toward that and I believe rightly so. Uh, Again, our mantra would be let kids be kids. They don't need to be concerned with sexual identities. They don't even need to understand anything to do with sexuality at that age. Um, There's no need to sexualise our children at any level. Is there pressure, you think, here, Kiralee, where you've had an outfit like the Wiggles and uh, such universal acceptance and such wonderful family-friendly entertainment in that sense, uh, where things are changing so dramatically there? uh, Are all of those uh, family-friendly groups, uh, channels that you might have been, you know, used to, you know, you might have been raised on those things, you might have raised your own children into adulthood, uh, watching those sorts of things, are they all under pressure uh, because of this idea of cancel culture and uh, because you've got to look like you're being much more diverse, uh, changing to all of the gender fluid ways that you can jump on that bandwagon? What are your thoughts here for all the other things that are changing? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I can't say whether the pressure is coming from within or without. I think it's actually driven by the entertainment industry itself. We all know that there's a a ridiculous bubble uh, that they seem to live in. They're they're not in touch with reality. They're not in touch with everyday people, whether it's, you know, Hollywood right down to something like The Wiggles. And uh, I think they're misreading the room, to be quite honest, um, with the responses that uh, people are saying. You know, we have the the expression now, go woke, go broke, for a reason, because people respond and they'll respond with their dollar. they respond with their, um, you know, audience ship. They will turn them off. And that's what we're seeing a lot of people will choose to do. Uh, I think that adults putting uh, these adult concepts onto children uh, will feel the heat and feel the backlash and regardless of whether they think it's trendy or uh, you know a fad or whatever it is uh, they will reap the whirlwind because of it some parents just go along with the flow and uh, they'll expose their children to whatever's on the tv at the time or they'll buy whatever's the most popular uh program or group or whatever's going there's a certain sense in which others will say i need to take responsibility here when you're speaking to groups and there are parents present they're concerned about these things uh, it's all very well to speak against all sorts of things that are happening but what do you tell parents to do when they're looking for some tips and hints about how they protect their children kiralee yes well i think it's really important uh for adults parents to take responsibility Uh, God has placed children within families that is by design it is intentional it's purposeful and parents need to take that responsibility very very seriously Uh, I know that we live in an extremely fast and busy world uh, but we can't allow you know the television to be our babysitters we can't allow uh, even our school education system has been corrupted by extremists who want to teach gender fluidity in school And we can't expect somebody else to do the hard work for us in raising our children. We need to take responsibility for that ourselves. Where there is uh, 
I guess, fear or intimidation or uh, worry about those things, then we definitely need uh, you know, use organisations like Binary. Let us speak out on, on your behalf, join forces, numbers matter, and we can do it together. Interestingly, in a COVID environment where all the headlines are around COVID and you switch the mainstream media news on and all you hear is uh, a COVID message, uh, the narrative as it's going, all the numbers getting up to date on those things, and some of those things are going to be important to know, but at the same time, issues like this don't rise to the surface, don't get any uh, headlines. In fact, uh, seeing across the board all sorts of changes that governments are bringing in uh, when there's no scrutiny from any interested journalist. Uh, things are just moving through parliaments, left, right and centre. All sorts of things that uh, I would say are, are anti-Christian moves. Uh, there's a certain sense here in which uh, it, to, in order to cut through, I, I'm not sure how you do it because if mainstream media locks you out, uh, that gets very difficult, doesn't it? It certainly does, and the mainstream media is complicit in this agenda. They are definitely promoting the extremist agenda here, and they are ignoring and rejecting voices such as mine and others who are speaking out on these things, or they ostracise and alienate uh, you know, politicians or voices that want to speak out against these things. I think one of the ways that we cut through um, is the left, you know, or, or the extremists are very good at pulling on the heartstrings and using personal stories. And we're finding that as more parents are speaking out, more uh, people who have transitioned and are now detransitioning, uh, we want to put uh, campaigns and money behind their stories so that we can get their stories heard. Politicians in the Canberra bubble, in uh, the state parliaments, need to hear from these people who have suffered so immensely uh, and been damaged by the irreversible uh, treatments that they've been exposed to, families have been fractured. Uh, we really need to get their stories heard. Uh, there was a report that has come out uh, in the last week or so, Australian Perspectives on Transgendering Children and Adolescents. It's been uh, contributed to by many, many experts in Australia um, and it opens up with the account of a parent whose daughter was or has been um, captivated by the trans extremists and um, this daughter has identified as male, she has uh, cut off her family uh, and now she wants to cut off her breasts and it, it's very confronting but we need to hear these stories and uh, you know some of our upcoming campaigns will be to get those stories heard. It takes resources to get those stories up and uh, it's all very well to have Kiralee on every now and then but uh, you're trying to uh, now in some sense start to supercharge some of the campaigns that you've been doing with Binary and uh, I'll give the website where people can participate in that campaign and uh, you're looking to raise $25,000, binary.org.au. I'll mention that again at the end of our conversation today. But just to broaden this again, because uh, while we talk about children, when there's anti-discrimination legislation that's coming through and it disadvantages children and women and uh, it it fuels all of this woke uh, culture change that's happening. Uh, There's other issues here that affect adults, uh, thinking about women's shelters and what's happening in prisons. They're also uh, on the receiving end of cultural change. What are your thoughts around those, Kiralee? 
Well, some of the stories we're hearing are devastating, heartbreaking. I don't have strong enough language to describe. Um, there's a, a women's rape shelter in the UK that is being run by a, a biological male, a transgender who identifies as a woman. And yet we know that many of the women who end up in shelters uh, are escaping domestic violence, are escaping sexual uh, abuse and uh, problems with male-bodied people and uh, it's just so confronting, so difficult for these women's shelters who are now uh, in some cases either being shut down or forced to accept um, males who who pretend that they're women uh, in those shelters. We're also viewing, and this is happening here in Australia, where prisons uh, are allowing males to self-identify as females. They, they may or may not have had any uh, medication or surgery and they're being housed as female inmates in women's prisons and uh, around the world we're seeing that that results in greater violence, uh, sexual assaults and threats towards uh, women who are already extremely vulnerable in those prisons now having to deal uh, with male-bodied uh, inmates alongside with them, sometimes even in their own cell, which I just think would be so traumatic and devastating for those women. And the women in those circumstances don't always have their own capacity to speak up. And this is where you come in here, Kiralee, because you've got this concern for women, for girls. And coming back to the sport issues, even women at elite level sport are being told to shh, be quiet. Don't speak about exactly. that because you'll bring uh, some sort of, you know, uh, reputation damage to your sport if you speak up. Well, you're intending to speak up for those who can't speak and defend for themselves. And we're talking about half the population here. We're not talking about a small minority group. We're talking about all women because all women are on the receiving end of what's happening with the changing culture. Uh, so uh, coming back to this uh, this campaign that you've got going, uh, you want to run some campaigns, you want to lobby politicians, uh, you want to support the ones who will speak up for women and uh, to expose those politicians who are uh, who are opposed to women in sport. Uh, those sorts of campaigns, that's the sort of thing you probably need not only some resources to help make that happen and to, to supercharge what you're doing, you probably need some representatives all around the country. What sort of plans you, might you have for expansion, Kiralee? Have you got some more, more thoughts here? Oh, uh, look... <laughs> My my plans and thoughts are lim uh, you know have no limit. <laughs> We're always dreaming and thinking of what else we can do, but we also want to be specific and make affect change where we can. So first, let me say, you know, we've spoken a lot about women, but men also suffer and boys suffer at the hands of this extremism and I want to shout out to all the men who are standing up and whose daughters are affected by these things, whose wives are affected by these things, who, who feel that their either conservative or Christian views are impacted by these things and there's you know, we celebrate men. We, we absolutely encourage and celebrate and promote the um, we, we don't uh, we, we need masculinity in this country and, and we, uh, we celebrate those men who are walking in that. And we also do say uh, every single person has the ability to be informed and to share that information. So that's the first step that everybody needs to take. Well, before that prayer, if you are a Christian, um, let's pray. But, but then 
let's be informed, let's share that information uh, where you can financially assist or, uh, or donate to our campaigns. That will help and equip us to be able to inform and educate a lot more people, but it will also help us do things like advertising, take, like I said, polls. The numbers matter very much to these politicians and we will be able to um, get the stories that need to be told in front of the right people at the right time. So uh, as the country opens up um, post-COVID or in the midst of COVID, we would also like people to spend a lot more time speaking to their local politicians and being involved in some action campaigns that we will be releasing in the coming months. Well, Kira Lee Smith, you've got runs on the board at all of the things that you put your hand to. You are tenacious. And so for listeners who haven't yet become a supporter, whether it's a prayer partner or whether it's someone who financially supports the campaigns from Binary, here's your opportunity to jump on board, binary.org.au, Binary. Dot org dot au and and when people think uh, where did binary come from it's a little bit like a rebranding of what was known as the marriage alliance which played a very prominent role uh, in the lead up to the uh, vote on uh, same sex marriage so binary.org.au uh, that fundraiser has a goal $25,000 there's also access on that website and I'll get your thoughts here uh, Kiralee you've got an ebook so when we're talking about the threat to women in sport, your ebook actually lays that out in a very clear way. Has uh, there been a good take-up for your ebook? There has, and we're always keen for more people. So you can contact me through the website, and I can get that book into your hands. That book it just has five very simple reasons why we need to protect women in sport. It also has a bonus of comparing males and female results in many of the popular sporting codes that we have in this country. It's it's a resource that you can then share with others who may not have understood the issues to this point. So that's something that we did some fundraising for. We were able to uh, publish that book and get it into the hands of the people who need it. And uh, it's available for anyone else who'd like it. Okay, the ebook available on the website. We did mention a parliamentary petition too. There's a link on the binary website. Uh, numbers matter. Four and a half thousand signatures on there so far. Lots more needed. And uh, Kiralee Smith, just great getting your insights once again. And, uh, you know, just to unpack all of these things uh, to get a bit more of a detailed insight into what's going on. And as I said, uh, we haven't even got time to talk about all the issues, but we've touched on a whole bunch. Uh, listeners will be uh, encouraged, no doubt, to seek some more detail. Binary.org.au. Kiralee Smith leads Binary. Kiralee, thank you so much for your update today on 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.